what we've talked about over the last couple of weeks anyway. I know Jeff filled in and preached for me last week because I took a, a day off. Uh, but the weeks before that and today and next week, talking about this idea of I want to believe because there are so many people, and maybe you are there right now or maybe you have been there before, that you really want to believe in God that you really want to believe who Jesus is, that he is who he said he was, but you're just not sure. So that's what we've been talking about, and that's what we'll talk about today. I want to believe, but there's something that's stopping me from doing that. Would you pray with me as we start? Gracious Father, you love us so deeply, and God so well. Even when we don't listen, even when we don't obey. God, your love for us never wavers, and I am thankful for that. Father, I pray that whatever it is that hinders us from believing in you and doing the things that Jesus very clearly told us to do, God, I pray that you get those out of our way. God, get ourselves out of the way so we can follow the leading of your spirit to do the things that you've called for us to do as the church to be a light shining on the hill that others can see Jesus because you allowed us to be a part of your kingdom. God, may everything we do be about you and because of Jesus. God, thank you for including us on your team together. God, we're so grateful for that. Teach us this morning as we read from your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Sometimes we want to believe, but what's hindering us from doing that is we have this idea, we've built up this idea in our head that God is a goosebump God, that he's always going to give you these feelings and that you're always going to feel and be able to experience his presence. And when we think in our heads, that's how God operates. And then when the reality of life is different than that, what's it do? It causes me to think, well, maybe God isn't who he said he was. Maybe God won't do the things that he promised to do. How many people here, have you ever felt the presence of God in your life? Anybody? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you have. What about today? Do you feel the presence of God today as we worship? Yeah. Well, sometimes. You know, some weeks we come in and we worship and we just don't feel it. You ever been there? Where it's just like, what, what are we doing like, why, God, why this, I didn't feel your spirit. I didn't feel that you were here among us and teaching us what happened. Well, how do you know when you feel God? How do you know when it's God's presence? Well, sometimes you get little tingly feelings, right? You can feel God's presence overcoming you. Your little hairs stand up on your arms, and you just feel the presence of God but you know what else can give you a little tingly feeling? Sit next to your girlfriend, right? Or if you sit with your legs crossed too long, your foot falls asleep, and then that gives you a tingly feeling too. So is that God or is that me not having blood in my leg because I was sitting in a way that's not good for me to sit? 
Or what about this, God's presence? Sometimes you come into the presence of God and he breaks your heart in a way that you're going to turn from sin and go to God. Now, it's not just for people who don't yet believe in Jesus, but those of us who are already believers, that God convicts us of the stupid stuff, the sinful stuff that I'm doing in my life, and God just lays you flat on your face and you cry. So maybe we need the tingly feelings, and maybe we need crying to be the presence of God. But you know what else can make you cry? A good YouTube video? Or being a, a, a Georgia sports fan, that's an inclusive term, okay? That's Tech, UGA, the Hawks, the Falcons, anybody. That make you cry. That's awful stuff. They just let you down and let you down. That's why some of us are smart and like other teams that are good and win things. Or what about God's presence? What about God's presence? You think, well, if I'm going to experience the presence of God, if I'm going to feel who he is, I'm going to feel peaceful. And am I going to feel anxiety, and am I going to feel at ease, or I'm going to feel at ease? You know what else can make you feel peaceful? Getting your kids out of your house, right? Or, or a massage, or a nice calming music that just can cause for you to relax. Or maybe for you, it's getting on the lawnmower and cutting the grass, and you hear all the noise, and there's nobody else to bother you. Maybe that's what it is. So if you didn't feel God's presence today, as we came together and we sang, and, we, and we're reading, going to read from God's Word, and as we took communion, as we gave... If you didn't feel it, well, is that God's fault? Is it your fault? Is it Phil's fault? Did he pick the wrong songs? I mean, whose fault is it? If you didn't feel the presence of God as we came together today. Now, one thing I always know to be true is that God always does what he says that he's going to do. And usually when there's a mess up, it's me. Every now and then when there's something that's not right, it's on somebody else. But most of the time it's me, it's not on you. It's never on God because God always does. God is always present. God is always there, yet we build up these ideas about we try to fit God into this little box where this is how you operated in this instance in my life, God, so I need you to replicate that again so that I know that it's you. Yet we can feel like sometimes maybe you just go through the motions in your faith and you're like, I just don't feel God's presence. I don't, I don't know that he's here. I don't know that he cares. I don't know that he listens. But I want you to know that if you don't always feel God's presence, you are not alone. Both in the sense that God is with you, but there are people all around you that we want to desperately feel the presence of God. Now, certain times, in our, we want it all the time, but we want to feel it. And sometimes when we desperately feel like we need him, it just doesn't seem like he's there. So I want you to know that you are not in isolation when you feel that because it happens to all of us. Psalm 88, the psalmist says this, Psalm 88, verses 13 and 14. But I cry, O Lord, to you. In the morning, my prayer comes before you. O Lord, why do you cast my soul away? Or why do you reject me? Some pretty strong language. Now, a couple other things in the book of Psalms. I'm going to read just a few verses out of a few other chapters. Psalm chapter 13. And what we'll see what you'll see is that there's a couple different ways that Scripture talks about how people experienced God and his presence. Where Psalm 88 says, I cry to your help, but God, why do you reject me? Why do you hide your face from me? This next one's not up there, Phil. Um, but Psalm 13, verse 2, really verses 1 and 2. The Psalm of David, he cries out, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? 
How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all day? How long will my enemies be exalted over me? Where David cries out to God, how long am I going to feel like you're not there? And yet it's the very same believer in God, David, who penned the 23rd Psalm that we have included, that I know is near and dear to many of our hearts. Yet we can see David shifting from, how long, God, are you going to reject me? Am I going to be by myself? Yet these words of comfort in Psalm 23, verse 4, after David says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Verse 4, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For you are with me. David says, God, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. So maybe at times in your life, if you feel like you're crying out and you don't sense that God is there, and other times in your life where I can know that in the presence of my enemies, God sets a table before me and he takes care of me, that even though I am in the face of death, I will rejoice because God is with me. He will comfort me. Now, I can relate to King David in this. Or sometimes you feel the very real and awesome and powerful presence of God in your life. Oftentimes it's when we need it the most. And yet there's those other times where I don't feel like Psalm 23, I feel like Psalm 13. God, how much longer? Where are you? Are you listening? Do you care? In fact, C.S. Lewis, Lewis, a great Christian writer, I wrote this in one of the most painful times of his life. He said he cried out to God and he got... I, this is a quote. Lewis says, I cried out to God and I got a door slammed in my face and the sound of a bolt being double bolted behind the other side of the door. Have you ever been there before? <laughs> you cried out to God and it was just, nope. And there seemed to be no way out. Maybe even no caring response. Lewis confessed that that heavenly silence made him doubt God's existence. He went on to say, maybe where God lives, there's, there's no lights in the windows. It might be an empty house. Was it ever inhabited? It seemed so once. Why is God so present a commander in our time of prosperity and yet very absent in our time of trouble? Or, at, or why do we feel that way sometimes? And yet we ask this question, why don't we always feel God? And I have a couple ideas for us to talk about in our time together today. Why don't I always feel God? Why don't I always have that goosebump God, that mountaintop experience where I'm, I'm walking with him and I can hear him speaking to me and I can read and I can pray and it feels good and it's fluid and I, I enjoy it. Why don't I always feel God in my life? Perhaps maybe we're over-sensationalizing it. Maybe, maybe we built it up in our heads to be one way. And yet God operates by a different set of directions and orders and ways that he goes about things. Or maybe I'll illustrate it this way. This week, Jesse and I had a hot date on Monday night. It was awesome. We had a really good time. We put it on the calendar. We planned it ahead of time. We made sure that Ella was in bed on time. And by in bed on time, I mean 15 minutes late. <laughs> okay. And we got Ella in bed on time. And then Abby was asleep. So they're both asleep. And we sit down on the couch and we live stream a money and marriage event that we had access to watch. So it was about money and marriage because those are important things that go together. Uh, and there was two different halves of it. One, Dr. Les Parrott, his wife is, they're both named Leslie, Les and Leslie. So one goes by Les, one is Leslie. Um, Dr. Les Parrott is a phenomenal Christian psychologist. 
and he writes an awful lot about relationships and how we work with one another. So for the first hour while Abby slept, that's what we got to hear about. And we got to hear them talk about uh, relationships and how you communicate with your spouse and how you show your spouse that you love them and you care for them. And the second half, uh, Rachel Cruz got out and she talked about money and how you deal with that in your household and how you communicate with one another and how a lot of times our past experiences or what, we, how, what money was like in our house growing up is how we projected on what money always should be like. In some cases, that's good. In some cases, that could be the worst thing that could ever happen in the history of the world. Am I right? But we enjoyed that time together, even though Abby was awake for the second part of it, <laughs> talking about the money part. That's not all that important. But what Dr. Les Parrott said in the beginning is he talked about how we express love and how love functions for us together. Now, everything he says, he filters through the lens of he is a psychologist, but he's a Christian, and he is very wise in what he talks about um, our faith and how it impacts every part of our lives. So what he talked about is how these different components that make up the love that we have for one another. He said there's these biological, these willful, and these physical components that make up how we feel love. And in fact, he said them, they're passion, intimacy, and commitment, or there's three different parts, and they kind of go together to kind of work with how we feel love from our spouse. Um, And he said this, he says, rate yourself, not your spouse, not the other person, but yourself on a scale of one to 10 today. How passionate are you about your spouse on one to 10, one being not so much, 10 being as high as it could possibly get. And he says, and he did that with all three of these components, the passion, the intimacy, and the commitment. And he said that for the most part, he says, God didn't design us to be at a 10 out of 10 all day, every day, seven days a week, 12 months out of the year on every one of these things. Because sometimes in our head, that's what we think we have to be or we're not loving our spouse like we're supposed to do or we're not feeling love appropriately. Because God didn't design us to live at a 10 out of 10 all the time, to be going full bore, top speed all the time because what happens when you're expending all your energy, you get wiped out and you just can't sustain it. And that helped me a little bit to know, well, you're not always going to feel those mountaintops, but that doesn't mean that you love your wife or your spouse or your husband any less. It's just the natural ebb and flow of, of life and the relationships that we have. Well, maybe I'll illustrate for you this way. He says, maybe to you, getting married was the most important thing in your life. Not everybody is called to get married. Okay, that's not a mandate that we have. Um, but maybe for you, it was getting married. And you're like, if I can just get married, that's going to solve all my problems. Or maybe it was just, if I could just have a kid, I was just created to be a mom, and once I have a kid, everything will be better. But maybe you had a kid, and it wasn't anything like you'd made it up in your mind to be. Or maybe you couldn't have kids at all, and you had to grieve that loss of something that you thought that this is what marriage is supposed to look like, or this is what being together and having a family is supposed to look like. And yet when our reality doesn't match the perception that we have in our heads, we can't we can't enjoy it even sometimes when life is good because we've created these scenarios, these perfect visions or these perfect ideals of how life's supposed to function. And when it doesn't go to the plan that we've come up with in our heads, it doesn't work way. It doesn't work very well. A couple weeks ago, I was reading a book called Finish by author John Acuff, and he put it this way, talking about kids. He said, kids are a crisis. He says, they're a beautiful crisis, but they're a crisis nonetheless. He said, no one tells you this because they want you to have kids too, and so the species survives. But he's right. He says, kids are a crisis. And he goes on to say that when, I was, when my kids were younger, I just had to come to grips with the, the reality that my yard's going to look awful. 
because I've got more important things to do when I've got toddlers at home to make sure that my yard is cut appropriately or manicured or trimmed or even low. He says, I'm just going to have to fail at that right now because I've got other things in my life that are just more important. Kids are a crisis, but they are a beautiful crisis, but they're a crisis nonetheless. I resonate with what he said there. Now, sometimes when we have these goals in our life that we feel like, if I can just get this job or make this much more money or have this much savings in the bank or get this much closer to retirement or save this much or have another kid or get this house or get, we feel like that's going to make things better. Now, often what happens is that we place good things can get really close to where God's supposed to be in our life for our priorities. And when we put anything that's not God in the seat where God should be, it will always leave you empty. It will always leave you wanting more. It will leave you unfulfilled. Even good things that we are called to do, when you put them in the place of God, it's not going to fill you up. Sometimes these dream scenarios that we have about what life will be like ruin the reality when we get somewhere and life is good, yet we've got a, it's not exactly how we planned it. I think that might happen sometimes with the presence of God. We feel like this is how God has to operate. This is how I have to feel. This is what it's going to be like. And then when it's not, we think it's a mess or we did something wrong. Now, the reality is sometimes it is a mess, and oftentimes we do do things wrong. But we miss the mark because we built up this idea in our head that isn't where close to reality. That's why in John chapter 6, there's this interaction. Jesus performs one of his miracles. And uh, he just fed uh, thousands of people. That happens on several different occasions in Jesus' ministry. Um, Jesus feeds the 5,000. He walks on water. And then he's, this is this little statement where he says, I am the bread of life. I'm going to read John 6, 28 and following. Then they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Verse 29, and Jesus answered them, this is the work of God that you believe in him who he has sent. So they said to him, then what sign will you do so that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread of heaven and they ate. So what these people do to Jesus when he told him who he was, that he was the Messiah. They'd just seen him perform this miracle. he just fed 5,000 people. he just walked on water. And then they say, well, what sign are you going to give us, Jesus? Our forefathers got bread that fell from heaven, and they called it, what is it? That's what manna is, because they didn't know what it was, but they ate it. Because they knew that story to be true of how God had provided for the people of Israel in the wilderness, how God gave them food. And what they thought in their heads is that when God sends the Messiah, it's going to happen just like that again. And they completely missed what Jesus had done. The feeding 5,000 people wasn't good enough. The walking on water wasn't good enough. Jesus, what signs do you have for us? Where's our manna? Seems to be what they're saying. And Jesus says, no, no, no. You got it all wrong. What they had done is they'd had this idea in their head about what the Messiah was going to be, what he was going to do, what he was going to sound like, what he was going to accomplish. Well, this is how God did it before, so here's how he has to do it again. Show us our manna, and then we'll believe. Well, it doesn't ever work that way. We like to say it will, but it doesn't. Maybe another reason that I have trouble hearing the voice of God or really feeling his presence, and maybe you can relate to this, uh, maybe your heart's hardened. Maybe it is. There's story and story again in Scripture where people harden their hearts to God and then 
they weren't going to respond. They weren't going to come to believe. In fact, in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 13, will be the next couple of verses um, that I read. Matthew 13 is Jesus in the parable of the sower with the different grounds, the different seeds, and sometimes it grows and sometimes it doesn't, and Jesus goes on to explain what this means. And so Matthew chapter 13, verses 14 and 15, and Jesus quotes the prophet Isaiah, talking about people when it comes to believing God and who he is and what he says. Indeed, you will hear but never understand. You will indeed see but never perceive. For these people's hearts has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and with their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes closed, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people longed to see what you see, and they did not see it. And to hear what you hear, and you did not hear it. I read more verses than I put up there. I recognize that. Y'all should be used to that by now. Okay. We'll hear, but we won't understand. We'll see, but we won't get it. What happens, I think, more often than not, when I'm not hearing from God, when I don't feel God's presence, not to have all these great feelings all the time, because I already said I don't think that's how we operate. That's how God designed us to live. But what happens is that sin separates us from God. Sin separates us from God. In fact, when we read the story of Jesus on the cross, when the sin of the world was on the shoulders of Jesus, the Father had to look away. Why? Because God cannot be in the presence of sin. He can't. He had to look away from his son because my sin, your sin, our sin was on Jesus, on the cross. God couldn't be right there. Sometimes it's easy for me uh, as a Christian to lose the sense of magnitude about how evil this sin in my life is. I think a question that we can ask um, a good bit is, is what sin have you gotten comfortable with in your life? What is it? Is there a sin that you've gotten comfortable with that just, it just kind of dwells and it lives there? And what I find always to be true with sin is that when that happens, it grows and it becomes stronger. And it becomes harder to break and to get rid of and to get out of those cycles and those behaviors. So is there a sin that you become comfortable with? Maybe it's envy. Maybe it's lying. Maybe it's gossip. Maybe it's laziness. What sin have you gotten comfortable with? Because I think this to be true. Sin, not only does it separate us from God, sin insulates us from God. Think about it this way. When Jesse and I moved to Illinois, she moved from Florida to Atlanta to the central Illinois in the span of about seven months, okay? I thought I was going to be fine going to Illinois because I never got cold. I was like, I got a jacket. I'll be fine. <laughs> was I ever stupid, all right? Not true. So cold. I had to go buy new coats around this time of year, waited for Black Friday, bought real winter coats. Did you guys know you can't buy those down here? They don't sell them. They don't. You think it just doesn't exist. You can't buy a heavy winter coat in Georgia. 
But what happens when it gets cold? Well, we put on a shirt. We put on, or if you're really cold, you put on an, an underlayer, a thermal layer, then your regular clothes and some cotton socks and some wool socks and a jacket and a hat and a mittens. Cover your ears, cover your mouth, do everything you can. Then you go outside, and then you can tolerate the cold. Why? Well, because you've been insulated from it. You've got enough things keeping your body warm, keeping your body heat in. And I find that it's those layers of sin in your life that do the exact same things that insulate you from hearing from God. To feeling God's presence. Because sin, the more that we put on, the more that it entangles, the more that it layers, the more that I become comfortable with it or apathetic towards it. It insulates me, and I can't feel God in his presence and his warmth because I choose to sin and not to acknowledge him. Sin insulates our hearts and our minds from being able to to understand God, and the more that we let sin hang around, the bigger foothold that it grabs. One last way, or maybe reason, that you don't feel the presence of God is that maybe God wants to draw you closer. Maybe God wants to draw you closer. You guys, it's so much easier for me when I got mad at Ella to yell, and I do that sometimes. You can ask Jesse, probably more often than I should. Why? Because it gets her attention. And then she curls up and she cries and she puts her head down and I feel like a jerk. But you know what? Sometimes it's appropriate. Other times when I do that, I should feel like a jerk because I was being a jerk and I should not have done that. Now, there's cases where it's okay to yell at kids, and sometimes kids need to be yelled at, and sometimes they need more than that. Amen, right? Anybody? They do. They do. John still needs that. Bailey, raise his hand back there. Right? They do. But sometimes there's power when you, when you sit back and, and you speak softly. There's a power in, in a whisper. When you whisper, people have to lean in and pay more attention. It's much easier to yell and get attention because I can be loud. Sometimes I think maybe we can't feel God's presence because he's trying to draw us in closer. Sometimes we don't need him speaking louder in bigger ways because this world is loud and full of noise all the time. What we need is that discerning, that still small voice of God where he's just whispering to us and we've really got to lean into him to pay attention to hear. Loud can be really dramatic and impactful, but so can quiet in a whisper. In fact, the Apostle Paul, when he's addressing uh, the Areopagus in Acts chapter 17, he's addressing these people that they find themselves to be so religious that just in case they missed one of the other gods, they thought they had idols or they thought they had things that they could worship for every god but just in case they missed one and the areopagus they they were so religious they said in case we've missed a god we're going to make an altar and inscribe it to the unknown god okay so this is the culture that apostle paul is talking to what he says in acts 17 verses 26 and 27 um after he says, you worship an unknown God, you've even got an altar for him. He says, but let me tell you about the unknown God that you don't know anything about. Verse 26 and 27, and he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods of boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way towards him to find him. Yet he is actually not far for each one of us, for in him we live and move 
and have our being, even as some of our own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. Paul talking to the the religious folks saying, you've missed it. And here's how you've missed it. That unknown God you're talking about is the one true God that makes all your other gods obsolete because they don't exist. They're figments that you've created in your head and they're not worthy of any attention or respect or anything else. But what God said is that he wants to draw people to him, that people should seek God and feel their way towards him and to find him. Now, just because in your life that God is silent doesn't mean that God is absent. Or maybe I'll word that another way. It's not just because when God is silent that God is absent. It's not just when you can't hear God that doesn't mean that he's not speaking. I'll say that again. When you feel like as a believer that you can't hear God, that doesn't mean he's not right there with you. That doesn't mean he's not speaking. What that does mean is that something is keeping you from hearing him. Now, certainly I know it to be true that there are times in our life where God has answered us. We've got to wait, and we've got to do some of the hard work ourselves to learn lessons in hard ways. But just because you don't feel God doesn't mean he's not there. Don't believe everything that you, that you feel because our feelings, they are good, and God gave them to us, but they can deceive us. They can. That's why God um, recorded in Jeremiah 29. He says, you will seek me and you will find me when you seek me with all your heart and I will be found by you, declares the Lord. You will seek me when you find me with all of your heart. Maybe, just maybe, why you don't feel that presence of God. Now, it's not going to be a 10 out of 10 every day or every Sunday. It's why you never have those moments in your life where you really feel God leading and teaching and the Spirit just filling up in you. Maybe it's you're not really seeking after him as you should be. Maybe there's a sin in your life that you have allowed to live there, and it is layered, layers and layers and layers of insulation, and it's keeping you from living the life that God would want for you to have. Maybe you've got this idea in your head about how God has, has to operate, and here's how he did it before, and here's how he needs to do it now, and here's how God's going to operate in the future. God's ways are better than my ways. God's ways are deeper than your ways. If they weren't, he wouldn't be very much of a God. He certainly wouldn't be very worthy of our attention. I I just want to encourage you. Now, sometimes you will feel a song will come on at the right moment. You'll open your Bible and read, maybe for the first time in years, for a serious amount of time, and God will speak to you through the words, and you just feel his presence. We need to look for those moments so much so that we just want those to exist because they encourage us along the way. They let us know that God is there where he teaches us and he shows us. Don't let whatever your head tells you how God's supposed to operate and how he's supposed to make you feel keep you from believing. Seek God with all that you have. Seek me with all your heart and then I will be found. That's what God says. Let's pray together. Father, it is very easy in life to push the little cruise control button and just do the things we know we're supposed to do, to be loving and kind and generous and to do the bare minimum or just to get through. God, now there are seasons of life where that's all we can do just to get by. 
But God, we are never meant to live that way for a long term. Father, I pray and I ask that you encourage us. God, that you give us those moments where we get those glimpses of heaven on earth. God, because we know our life isn't just about when we get to heaven, but it's about how we can bring heaven onto earth now by sharing the love of Jesus with people and experience your presence. God, help us to believe. Help us in our unbelief so that we can follow after you. It's in Jesus' name I ask all these things. Amen.